Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. It's great to see you guys this morning. So glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, we're so grateful for that. Today, we're in week two of a journey that we kicked off last week called Uncharted. We're asking God to take us all on a journey with him that would take us to a new place in our love for him, or a new place in our passion for him, a new place in our faith, a new place in, in our prioritizing uh, what he's doing, is building his kingdom on earth, and, and that uh, the overflow of this spiritual journey would be that God would take us to a new place of generosity, that the overflow of that would be that life church would be able to make a bigger difference than we've ever made before. And our, our biggest goal for this, our number one goal is not financial, our number one goal is that 100% of us that, that feel like Life Church is our church, that, that we would go on this spiritual journey, asking God to take us to a new place in our hearts, a new place in our faith, a new place in our passion for Him. And we wanna give you guys tools for this journey. If last week you weren't here and you didn't get one of our field guides, our, our little booklets that we want to help you, raise your hand. Someone will bring you one of those right now. We've got a team. Keep it up till you get one. And in that field guide, uh, in, in the middle of there is some small group material. There's some places to take message notes each week. And at the beginning, it really just unpacks uh, the vision of the Uncharted Initiative, which is to, uh, you know, as we go on this spiritual journey, the overflow of that, a new place of generosity, the overflow of that life church, making a bigger difference than ever in three big areas. One, uh, what we call uncharted ministry, which is all of the stuff that happens seven days a week here on this campus, children's ministry, youth ministry, all of our adult discipleship, weekend worship services, all the stuff, seven day a week ministry here, what you would typically call your general fund, we're calling that uncharted ministry for the next two years, all that we're believing God to do just in our normal day-to-day -day ministries. And then the, the next area is what we call uncharted mission. What we're believing God to, how God to use us over the next two years to make a difference outside the walls of this campus including making a bigger difference, helping more of the needy in our church and our community than ever before, going to a new place in our benevolence giving, opening up the Carson campus, opening up the Sparks campus, uh, building a church and a Compassion International Center in Bolivia, building five in that Compassion Center. There'll be 200 kids a day going there, receiving access to nutrition and healthcare and education and learning about Jesus every day, all in and through the name of a local church that currently doesn't have a building, will build a building for them, building five churches in India, which will then Monday through Friday uh, care for widows and orphans there in India, helping transform a village in Costa Rica through partnering with a, with a missions partner there to start a sustainable farming education program at a place where their biggest challenges are not enough jobs and not enough food. And, and so we'll be partnering with them to transform those villages. And so that's all that we're planning to make a difference locally and around the world um, in our uncharted mission. And the third uh, is we're calling uncharted movement. It's transformation of this campus to make a bigger difference than ever before. The first way is through building our Life Christian Academy school building. You probably know we already have our kindergarten class meeting upstairs, 18 little 
kindergartners every day meeting upstairs in our preschool building, and then next year we'll open up first through third grade, and then as we open up the Life Christian Academy building, we'll add a grade every year up at least through eighth grade. Our vision is to have a academically excellent, we wanna have the best education available in Reno with Jesus at the center of it all. Reno, this, uh, absolutely. I believe this is our single greatest discipleship opportunity. That, and listen, every single school is discipling our children towards something. And we want to disciple them to grow up and love Jesus passionately and prepare them to make a big difference in the world. And so we build a Life Christian Academy school building. Upstairs we'll have Life Church offices. We'll pave the back parking lot so that we can meet, reach more people on weekends here than ever before and keep their cars clean. <laughs> Matters. Some of y'all got your car washed yesterday, you're going that dirt lot, and you're like, man, I know Jesus matters, but now my car's dirty. <laughs> Hard stuff. But we really do wanna make it as easy as possible for as many people as possible to be here on the weekends and, and discover the life that Jesus brings. And, and, and then we're gonna rework our storage situation here, and, and it's gonna be an incredible next steps here at our South Reno campus. And, and, and so, but, but really our, our number one goal is that all of us would just go on this spiritual journey. And so that field guide unpacks all of those things in great detail and a couple of key dates. It's, it's uh, in that field guide, you find this commitment card. We're not turning those in today. We're just in this spiritual journey. November the 12th is the Sunday where we'll have our church-wide commitment day, but we're inviting as many people as possible that want to take the lead, that would be ready to, to make their commitment on November the 3rd, is what we're calling Advanced Commitment Night. And on that night, uh, our, our leadership community and really everyone that says, I want to be among the first to make my commitment on November the 3rd is going to be an epic night, Friday night. There'll be childcare in the kids' life building, some epic appetizers before the service, we'll have an incredible, powerful service together, then some awesome desserts after. It's gonna be a historic, memorable night. You will wanna be a part of that, and you can uh, register for that so we can prepare for you uh, through the website, Church Center app, and using this QR code. You will not want to miss that. I'm incredibly excited uh, about the kickoff of this uncharted season. I am 60% less excited, but still over the top excited, that this week kicks off the NBA season. I'm a big Mavericks fan. Luca and Kyrie, I believe they're gonna get it right this year. And, and there's a lot of debate when it comes to the NBA. Who's the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? Some people would say uh, Kareem, any Kareem? Anybody a Kareem uh, believer? Nope, nobody loves Kareem. One, we had one last service too. Uh, and and uh, maybe you say Wilt. Uh, don't hold his indiscretions against him. Um, I, uh, we can laugh about that, folks, if you know, whatever. And so uh, maybe you say Oscar. But most people would say it either comes down to MJ or LeBron. It's the greatest of all time, the GOAT. If you, if you say MJ, give it up. Give it up. If you say... If you're under 40 and you say LeBron, give it up. If, it's, if you say LeBron... All right, last service, it was also very heavily weighted towards MJ. Uh, but when you think about the goat, the greatest of all time, the Bible seems to make it clear that when it comes to Old Testament heroes and when it comes to faith, Abraham was the goat. If you have your Bibles, go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Why do I believe that? Hebrews 11, 
Oh yeah, cheer for the Bible. Sorry, I didn't give you the pause, my bad. Hebrews 11, verse eight. Um, we, we see this chapter that's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. All these faith heroes and the faith they demonstrated in the Old Testament. Almost everyone that's mentioned gets one verse. Moses gets seven verses. Abraham gets eight. It looks like when it comes to Old Testament faith heroes, in terms of living by faith, Abraham might have been the greatest of all time. Let me show this to you. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse eight. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That's why we're calling this season Uncharted. We're asking God to take us to a new place where we've never been before. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Why? For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and, as good as, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as, as the sands on the seashore. By faith, Abraham, here's a powerful little phrase, when God tested him. We're going to talk about that today when our faith gets tested. Offered Isaac as a sacrifice. We're going to look at that story in a few weeks. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I love this last part of this, Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. I want to talk to you today about that. What I believe were the two big things that God did in Abraham's life to cause him to become such an extraordinary man of faith. And I believe that God can do these same two things in our lives in an ongoing basis, but especially in this season. Here's the first thing that I believe was a difference maker. Abraham experienced what were pivotal, defining moments that tested his faith. See, Genesis chapter 12, we looked at it last week. God makes these epic promises to Abraham, biggest promises he's ever made to anybody, promises that even apply to us today. And then right after, same chapter, the greatest promises to Abraham, Abraham believes God, it's credited to him as righteousness. It's this incredible moment, this spiritual high, and then just a few verses later, he totally blows it. I don't know about you, but, but we see in life of Abraham, sometimes it feels like life is kind of ups and downs, and there's moments we really get it right with God and moments we really blow it. I love how people like Abraham make dumb choices in the Bible. It makes me feel better about the dumb stuff I've done. So we see here Genesis chapter 12, verse 11, right after this spiritual mountaintop moment, it says, and he was about to enter into Egypt. And he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. So far, so good. He's got off to a good start. You are so hot. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this, that is, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Now he begins to spiral downwards. Here's the weirdest part. So say that you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and that my life will be spared because of you. And Sarah's thinking, why did I marry this man? It's this testing moment. Abraham, in this case, gets it wrong. 
And then in chapter 13, he gets it right. There's this moment where his nephew, he, he, his, his nephew had moved with them and they find themselves in this dispute of, 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 of what it's like to have their clans living so close together. Abraham, in that moment, it's this testing, it's this defining moment. And Abraham makes the right choice and, and, and gives his, his nephew the, the, the better property. It was a defining moment. He responded well. And then in chapter 14, his dumb nephew gets in trouble and, and he responds courageously. And, and, and it's the, and that defining moment. And we, so we see over and over and over again, there are these defining moments in Abraham's life, these moments that tested Abraham's faith, these moments that no doubt felt too big for him. How is this going to happen? This seems incredibly difficult. Why is God asking this of me? And I believe that we also have these kinds of moments that test our faith, these moments that feel too big for us. These moments that beg the, the question, am I going to trust or am I going to control? Am I gonna have faith or am I gonna play it safe? Am I gonna live by faith? John Wember was quoted saying, how do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. Am I gonna have faith and take a risk or, or am I gonna live by fear and play it safe? See, here's the thing, these moments of testing, these pivotal defining moments that feel too big for us where we wrestle with, am I gonna live by faith or live by fear, that they really do two powerful things in our life. The first thing they do is they reveal. How we respond to these moments of testing are revealing. Abraham blew it about as often as he got it right. They're revealing, and our faith can even grow in hindsight in these moments when we don't trust, when we don't get it right, because no doubt we look back at those moments in our life where it's like, God gave me an opportunity there, but I, I was fearful, and, and I was controlling, and I was scared, and, and I didn't live by faith. I didn't take the step. I missed an opportunity. I wished I hadn't, and the next time I'm given an opportunity, I'm not going to live by fear. I'm going to live by faith. But it, they, the thing is, these moments of faith, they're revealing. So here's the thing, you don't know how strong something is until you test it. You don't know. You don't know how strong a, t a chair is. And so you're like, let's, let's just get a big old guy and let's just sit in this chair and see if it works. That's why we've shifted from the, the brown chairs to the, the gray ones on the patio. Those brown chairs failed the test on some of us, you know? You don't know how strong something is until you test it. And that's the way it is with our faith. You don't know how strong your faith is until you're in a pivotal, defining moment. And it's until you test it. But these moments of testing, these moments that are too big for us, these moments we have choices to make, they both reveal the state of our faith, they both reveal what's going on in our heart, but they also strengthen our faith. These moments of testing are meant to be strengthening. Faith is a muscle, it only grows by being stretched and strained. And our instinct is to avoid these moments, but steering into them leads, invites growth and transformation. These moments of tests, they reveal what's going on in our heart and they strengthen our faith for the future. See, the and here's the thing, I believe we're in a unique moment of opportunity. Because I believe the Bible makes it clear that, that few things give us the chance to test our faith. Few things give us the chance to reveal the state of our current faith. Few things give us the chance to reveal what has captured our hearts. Few things give us the chance to stretch and grow our faith for the future as much as meaningful moments of generosity.
See, every time we meaningfully engage kingdom generosity, we have the chance by the thoughts that come to our mind, by the feelings that come in our hearts, we, we have the chance to reveal what, where am I at in this faith thing? And what are the most important things in my heart right now can be incredibly revealing. And, and, it's, and it's a little test, if you will. See, our, our giving reveals the state of our heart, I believe, in six key areas. See, when we engage a moment of, of meaningful kingdom generosity, we begin to wrestle with questions of ownership. Whose is it anyway? Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 17. God knows we wrestle with these things. God knows we wrestle with these, these things most at moments when we're taking steps forward in kingdom generosity. Here, here's what God says in Deuteronomy. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. God knows that's our instinct to say, I worked for this, I worked overtime for this, I went to college for this, this belongs to me. And God has a great comeback. He says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. See, what here is God's having a moment like us, like I have with my little boys. We go to McDonald's, I get myself a burger, but I don't get myself fries. Because middle-aged metabolism, you gotta avoid eating more than about seven fries at a time. My boys get the Happy Meal and and I say to Michael, our little five-year-old, I say, Michael, can I have a few of your fries? And he says, no, they are my fries. <laughs> and then I spell out to him that he actually owns nothing. <laughs> Michael, all those clothes, I bought those. Those are, those are mine. That's my big, my, that's my cheeseburger. Those are my fries. In fact, Michael, you, you belong to me. Give me my fries. And... Uh, <laughs> He begrudgingly gives me the four fries. It's this ownership question we wrestle with. Who, whose is it? And then it's the gratitude question. Am I grateful? Next 45 days, we'll be preparing for Thanksgiving, and there's really no two words that go better together than thanks and giving. Here's the truth. Grateful people are generous people. Generous people are grateful people. People that aren't generous, many times, usually there's a gratitude issue at play. Here's the third question, the, the priority question, what matters most? Jesus, Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, where your money is, where your 401k is, where, where, where your resources are, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is saying there's this inextricable link between our finances and our priorities, our finances and our hearts. And so when I'm wrestling with moments of taking meaningful steps, for some of you, the first steps you've ever taken towards a step towards kingdom generosity. It's in those moments that, that we're wrestling with what really matters most. And then it's this question of trust. Do I believe God? Do I believe the promises of God? Do I take God at his word? See, the only time that, that the Bible, see, here's the thing. When we step out in meaningful steps of generosity, it's not only us who are being tested. Our faith's being tested, our heart's being tested, that what's going on inside of us is being revealed, it's, it's, it's being tested, it's being, has a chance to be strengthened, but it's not, but it's not only us who are being tested. There, there's a sense in which God says that he's being tested in a different way. Malachi chapter three, only time in the whole Bible where it makes testing God sound like a good thing. Let me show this to you. Malachi 3, 10, he says, bring the whole tithe, tithe old English for, uh, for tenth. 
Many of you have been tithing or giving way beyond the tithe for decades. And even those of us that have been doing this for a long time, this is a next step growth moment for all of us. He says, bring the whole tithe, the tenth, into the storehouse, the temple, that there may be food, resources in my house. And then he says this, test me in this. Only time God says, test me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much, but (laughs) hooked on phonics worked for me. (laughs) And pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. It's this question of trust. Do I believe God? It's this question of joy. And and, and when we take these meaningful steps of generosity, if our response is, is, well, I guess I have to do this. Everyone's doing this. Well, I guess God's gonna be mad at me if I don't do this. I don't, I don't wanna do this, I'm not excited to do this. But, but the thing is, God says that, that it's the ideal response of our heart ought to be joy. Let me show you this, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Listen, when it comes to Commitment Sunday, November 12th, or Advanced Commitment Day, November 3rd, when it comes to this card, listen, don't do it if you don't want to. If your heart's not in it, if there's not this joy, why? He says, don't do it under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. See, when my, when my faith is where it should be, when my heart is where it should be, when it comes to opportunities for generosity, there's this joy that wells up. There's this excitement. And finally, growth. Am I growing in giving? It's this, if, if my giving looks the way it did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, my attitude towards it, the, the, the percentage and relationship. If my giving has stayed static, I have to ask myself the question, do I want any other area of my life to stay static? If your marriage hasn't grown in the last decade, then, then you need to get some resources to help it grow because static isn't winning. That's not, we're meant to grow. We're meant, if your prayer life looks identical to 10 years ago, then, then God's inviting you to take a next step because, because growth is the expectation. We're on this journey. Uh, once we become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's living inside of us using, and then using his word, using the community of faith, that we would be on this ongoing journey of becoming more and more like Jesus until that moment where we are with him and completely like him. And so growing in generosity is just a normal part of becoming more like God. Why? Because he's the ultimate giver. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave us everything and gave us his own self. He he is marked primarily by generosity, so becoming more like him doesn't see growing in generosity as a destination where I get to this place and then I never take next steps because I'm on this journey, lifelong journey, of becoming more and more like the ultimate giver. So Paul, 2 Corinthians 8, says, but since you excel in everything, there's a lot of guys, things you're doing great in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. See that you also excel or grow in this grace of giving. I love this story from this sweet couple at Life Church. Check out the rights. I didn't really grow up in a church. Um, my mother and my sister always went to church, and my dad was one of those macho guys. Now you boys don't have to. When we were real small, we went to vacation Bible school and that sort of stuff in the summer. Well, I've always been in church my whole life, so, but all different kinds of churches, all different denominations, depending on where we lived. I didn't start going to church till I was in my 30s. I became a Christian when I was 32 years old. 
My dad was a commercial fisherman, and I fished with him, I can't remember, eight or nine years. And then I got into the tugboat industry and worked on tugs till I moved down here in 2017. We came to Reno to be closer to my daughter and son-in-law, and we started visiting Life Church and fell in love with it. And we would never leave Life Church. <laughs> it's really a great place, friendly, loving community. I like going to a church where the teaching is from the Bible. It's not just good stories. I like the messages. So yeah, it's just fun. It's a good place and you leave feeling like you have something to take away. Last year, Life Church put out this little bulletin about all the different places you could volunteer. And we have a lot of extra time on our hands because we were retired. <laughs> and um, I saw the one about the library, and I've always loved libraries. My wife, Myrna, just, she's a book nut. And when the, when the call came for someone to volunteer at the library at the county jail, she said, well, I'd like to do that. Would you do that with me? And I said, Oh uh, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't fish every day. <laughs> we started volunteering there one day a week, and then the people are wonderful. They treated us so well, and so we started two days a week, and now we're three days a week. <laughs> but it's so rewarding. One day they said, "We're going to see if we can get you guys on the payroll." I said, "Oh darn! You mean you're going to pay us for doing this?" <laughs> So that was really nice because then we had the additional income, which we weren't looking for to begin with, but that's always nice. We feel like we're a part of the Life Church family. And if the church is going to go this direction or that direction, uh, we want to be part of the flow. And so when this new income developed, we thought, okay, grab a paddle and, and go. It was funny because that was the first thing Russ said. He looked at me and said, we can give more to the new campaign. <laughs> I said, good. And so we sat down and figured it out and we met with uh, Pastor Tom and that just really fell in line with this new program. The church is raising the money and we thought, good, this gives us a lot, of, lot more income that we can share. It amazes me all the different directions that Life Church reaches out in our community. And uh, I'm just excited to sit back and, and watch it. Uh, also excited about being a part of it, of course. You just, you want to. You think, what can I do for the church now? Because it's so exciting, because you know, you want to be part of it. I don't know that no anyone would ever know that, you know, what our part really was, but that's not important. It's just. We feel good that we're doing something to further the kingdom, you know? It's just to be part of that and to know that souls will be reached because of what's been happening. So the first big thing that God used in Abraham's life to kind of see this incredible life of faith um, be developed were these tests, these defining moments that seem too big for us where we have to wrestle, have to decide, am I gonna live by faith or live by fear? And, and the second thing is this, there were these constant reminders 
that the God of the impossible had bigger, better plans for his life, for Abraham's life, than Abraham ever could. See, we're in this moment here in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. We see Abraham in this moment of wrestling with how's this all going to work. Genesis 15, 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, God's already given him the big promise that we saw last week in chapter 12. Now we're in chapter 15. Abram said to God, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children. So God's promised him all these descendants. He says, I have no children. How's this even going to happen? There's been this, this time between the promise and, and, and the fulfillment. There's been this pause. He, he says, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He says, I've got no kids. I'm just kidding. I've got this one servant. He's sort of the, my, my favorite or the best one or the highest ranking. I guess he's going to be the one that inherits all this. And the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your Air. This reminder that the God of the impossible, what Abraham looks like, at, looks, looks impossible to him. The God of the impossible, Abraham has a plan to make it all work, and God says, I have a better plan. He says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. This reminder, this clarification of God's promises. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith. He also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? He's still wrestling with his faith. So the Lord then sends, he says, and now there's this, like this powerful covenant moment, this special promise time that, that God continues to clarify and say, I'm the God of the impossible, and the plans that I have for you are better than the plans you have for you, and, and, and the, the things that I see for your future are so much better than the things that you see. See, a big part of the reason, I believe, that we don't trust God as much as we know we should or wish we did is we fall into thinking that our plans for our lives are better than God's plans. And when Abraham's faith wavered, God would follow up with a reaffirmation that he was a promise-keeping God who had, ama who had amazing things in store for Abraham, better than Abraham could ever come up with on his own. What we see in, in eight different chapters, we, we see eight different times where God comes and reminds Abraham of the promise. And on most every one of those times, each time would be a little clearer, a little more specific than the time before. I believe that what God used in Abraham's life were these defining moments of testing his faith revealing what was going on in Abraham's heart at the time, revealing the strength of Abraham's faith at the time, these moments that felt too big for him that were also coupled with these ongoing promises that the God of the impossible had better things in store for Abraham than Abraham would ever have in store for himself. And, and we see that these, these promises were so big. We saw last week, talked last week about, about how these promises, they, they affect us. The biggest promise of all being the promise of Jesus. When, when God promises to Abraham, the whole world's gonna be blessed through you. Jesus being the ultimate promise 
that seems too good to be true, that God would love us so much that he would become a person, that he would trade places with us, that he would live the perfect life that he, we never could, that he would die the death that we deserve to die, that we could trade places, that everything wrong with me would go on to him and everything perfect about him would go on to, to me. It's this promise. The promise of Jesus is this fulfillment of these promises to Abraham, the ultimate promise that shows that God is a promise-keeping God, even when it seems too good to be true. And I believe this is true for us. These promises are true for us when it comes to, to generosity, that, that God invites us into testing moments, that, that, that these defining moments that feel too big for us to reveal what's going on in our heart, reveal the strength of our faith, to, to stretch our faith so that it can grow for the future. And, and he brings us all of these promises uh, of, of what happens when we honor God and put him first, the first and best when it comes to our financial priorities. See, we, we see it over and over again. Give and it'll be given to you. Jesus and, and Luke, Philippians 4, 19, Paul's thanking them for their generosity. And he says, and my God shall supply all of your needs. One of my favorite places is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse six. Paul writes this. He says, remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Do we have any farmers here? That's good. You guys aren't, because I'm not a farmer either. But here's the principle. What we're seeing here is the law of the harvest. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Here's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap the same that you sow. You don't sow corn and then reap green beans. You reap what you sow. You reap the same that you sow. You reap later than you sow. You ever guys remember as a kid, you get like a little lima bean and then you plant it in your backyard and then you're kind of expecting to see a sprout the next day. And I remember like day number two, I'm digging out that lima bean. Like, well, where, was it happening? Is it happening? You reap what you sow. You reap the same that you sow. You reap later than you sow and you reap more than you sow. It's the law of the harvest. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, whoever sows sparingly or reaps sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. That's what we're on this journey, asking God, speak to our hearts, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you don't wanna give, don't give. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. It's these incredible promises that, that feel too good to be true. You will abound in every good work as it is written. They freely scattered their gifts to the poor. The right, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. These are more promises about this. And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. He'll increase your resources and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I'm not even sure what this next phrase means, but it sounds awesome. You will be enriched in every way so that you can have four homes, three boats, maybe a jet. No, it's actually the other way. You will be enriched in every way. Some of you have experienced incredible blessing financially. What's the purpose? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Here's what happens with these promises. These promises in the Bible, specifically about how God blesses when, when we put him first, specifically in our finances. The problem is there's two extremes. 
There's the one extreme of what's called the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel, which is the idea that if I honor God and if I generously give to kingdom causes, then I'll never get sick and my spouse will never be grumpy. And, and, and I'll have three houses, and one of them's on the beach, and probably a private jet. And, like, that is a false gospel. But the other error is equally dangerous. It, it's saying, oh, well, there's nothing to these promises. Almost had to get a new iPad there. Um, <laughs> the other extreme is saying, well, that does, that's not true. When Jesus says, given, it'll be given unto you. That's not true. When, when God says, test me and see if I don't open up the storehouses of heaven, that's not true. When Paul says, and, and, and God will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory, you'll be enriched on every occasion, all these things. The, 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 both of these are, 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 are extremes, and both of these are false. There, there's this middle place that says, and we don't give to get, and, and, and living generously, we're not, God doesn't owe us living like as millionaires, that's, that's not what God's saying, and it's not that every blessing's financial, although some are, but there are these principles of where we honor God, giving him first and best, that, that he is faithful to bless. There's this truth in the middle. These promises that seem too good to be true are true. And so what we see in the life of Abraham, there are these defining moments of testing, revealing what's going on with his heart, revealing what's going on in his faith, stretching his and growing his faith for the future, coupled with God bringing promise after promise after promise. See, here's the truth. God does not want generosity from you. God could resource all the things he wants to do on earth without any of us. God wants generosity for you. That, that's the promise where Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's not, he doesn't need it from us. He wants it for us because he knows we need it because it's a part of this process of us becoming like him, the one who is the most generous. It's for us. Here's the third thing and we're done. Embracing moments that feel too big for us, plus God's promises that feel too good to be true, leads to uncharted trust. We step into these moments of testing. We don't seek to avoid them. We step into these moments of asking God to reveal what's going on in our hearts. What to, to reveal where our faith really is, to reveal what's most important to us. We step into these moments of stretching and strengthening and we dwell on God's faithfulness and on these promises that the God of the impossible has better things in store for us than we could ever imagine. And it's when these two things come together that, that we kind of go into this new place of faith. So let's invite God to use this journey in our lives to reveal where our faith and trust really are. What really is most important to us? Are we trusting in God or are we trusting in our employer that pays us? Are we trusting in God or are we trusting in, in our 401k or are we trusting in, in the stock market? Where is our trust? What are we trusting in? What is our priorities? You, you can't separate our, our, our resources from what's going on in our hearts, what's most important. Let's ask God to reveal where our faith and trust are currently and ask God to stretch and grow us in this defining moment, this 
testing moment, this moment that feels too big for us. Let's ask him to take the fact that it is too big for us and to stretch us and grow us. Let's yield our instinct to control and to trust the God of the impossible that he has so much more in store for us. These, these moments of wrestling with what's most important, they're good for us. Claire and I, even in the last week or so, we've been looking on our rocket money to see kind of our ongoing, you know, these, the ultimate trick is like the Netflix trick, right? You sign up, it's 20 bucks a month, you never think about it again. And so like, you know, rocket money, and not that I, I'm not a paid spokesperson, although rocket money, feel free to make a gift to Life Church. And so, uh, but it's cool, it kind of lists all the things, like this is what you're, where your money's going every month. And then you begin to say, man, does that really matter? Could we not have this? Would our life really change if we didn't have that? Are there things that matter more than this list of where our money's going every month? And, and, and it's, it's these moments of wrestling with faith. What am I trusting in? Priorities, what's most important? They are good for us. See, initially what's going on with Abraham is he saw no future for his family beyond him. He thought, it's all gonna die with me. Then the promise came. Then the pause came. See, the thing is, if I come up to one of these teenagers and say, Matt, I'm gonna give you 100 bucks. And it's like, well, if I give Matt the $100 right now, that requires zero faith. Matt, sometime in the next year, I'm gonna give you 100 bucks. Well, it's like, well, now, now there's this pause. See, the promise plus pause equals now we have faith. It's what's going on with Abraham. The promise comes, it feels too good to be true. Then the pause comes, and that's the test. That the decision has to be made by, by Abraham. Am I gonna control or am I gonna trust? Am I gonna live in the natural or am I gonna live in the supernatural? Am I gonna live my way or am I gonna live God's way? He, then he says, maybe I'm just supposed to make my servant, my heir, maybe that's my solution. Then the promise gets even clearer. This heir is gonna be your flesh and blood. But then the pause comes, he keeps waiting. This was the test, the decision had to be made. Am I gonna control or trust? Am I gonna live in the natural or the supernatural? Am I gonna live my way or God's way? And then Sarah, the wife, has this great idea. She says, hey, well they said it was gonna be your flesh and blood, didn't mention me, why don't you sleep with the maid? Guys, if the wife ever says that, just a quick no. You know, and then right, the right answer is not, well, can we get a different maid first? That's worst case scenario stuff. Well, uh, if you're gonna do that, then, um, listen. And, and so then there's this deal, and, uh, and then he, he says, well, maybe this will work. He chooses control, not trust, and she gets pregnant, which leads to immediate and then long-term messes. But then again, the promise is reaffirmed. Sarah will have a baby in the next year. She's super old. This feels too good to be true. But these mix of tests, these defining moments that feel too big for us, that are faith revealing and faith stretching and these faith growing tests combined with these promises of God, that is what takes place for us to take a next step where we've never been before in our faith and in our trust. And I believe that few things Give us the chance to experience these things together. The test that is taking meaningful next steps in kingdom generosity. And what I'm excited about is for some of you, 
This uncharted journey is gonna be the first time you've ever taken a step, a meaningful step, into prioritizing what God's doing in the world with your financial resources. And for some of you, this is gonna be a a life-changing step where you're gonna look back years to come and say, it was in that moment that I began to experience the joy that comes in living generously and investing extravagantly in God's kingdom. But our response to these moments reveals what's going on in our hearts now, what's going on in our faith now, and gives this opportunity for stretching and growing simultaneously, combined with God's promises of his faithfulness and of his goodness and of his provision. And and then I believe it's in, in this season, these two things are coming together for us. This defining moment where we wrestle with what's most important and God's promises of his faithfulness coming together and what I believe is gonna be for many of us one of the most significant spiritual seasons of our lives. I couldn't be more excited. Let's pray together. So Father, we do ask that this season would be a time, a defining moment, a testing moment that reveals what's going on inside of us, reveals where we're at and what we're trusting in, revealing what our priorities are and what matters most. And God, that it be this moment that stretches and grows us in our faith and in our passion for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for your promises. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and how he's the ultimate fulfillment in these promises that you originally made to Abraham, that through him all peoples would be blessed, and that Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of the promise, that you love us more than we could ever realize. Love us so much that Jesus came, living the perfect life we never could, dying the death we deserve to die, so that, he, so that everything that's perfect about him that we could get credit for, and everything, every way in which we've blown it would, would go on to him. The, 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 the promise that just it seems too good to be true, but it's not. And it's in his name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.